In the middle of the night, uh, I had a song that came to my head as well as uh, first thing this morning. This is the song that was in my head. I'll, I'll kind of give the melody and see if anybody can guess it. It went like it goes like this. What's that? Oh no. There's Gilligan and the Skipper, too. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, it's subtly related to uh, what we'll get to, and we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a moment. Uh, but uh, today we, we enter into a picture that is one of, one of the most uh, sobering uh, realities uh, in the history of the world. Uh, we focus today uh, particularly on the sixth seal, uh, which tells us that the great day of God's wrath is coming. May God grant us hearts that would receive this, ears to hear, hearts to listen, be changed uh, by this reality. This is a reality that John wants us to see. He comes back to it multiple times throughout uh, the book. And if you'll give me about six minutes, uh, I want to kind of show us again the part of the structure of the book and uh, I hope that by the time that we're done with Re Revelation, uh, you, will, you will be able to handle this book uh, because this book is meant to be a blessing for God's people. We saw that right in the introduction. It's meant to bless the church, strengthen the church, not be confusing. It's not meant to like, frustrate us as we read it. It's, we're, we're meant to be able to handle this book. Uh, so let me actually read uh, once again verses 12 to 17 so you see it here and then I'm, we're going to show a quick slide so you can see it throughout the book where John keeps coming back to this but we're already in the sixth chapter and the sky is gone already okay and then it reappears okay uh, so, so you can see what's going on so verse 12 when he opened this, the sixth seal I looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The, the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because gr the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So if we could, if we, if we could go to that slide uh, there, Nathan, just so again you see uh, the structure of the book. Uh, we've talked about this uh, several times, about this idea of recapitulation. He's, he's going to sh show the same kind of play, if you will, with the, the football illustration, show it from different angles again and again. Uh, we've been through chapters 1 and 3, uh, 1 through 3, that's where he kind of gives us the context of the church, not only the church then, but the church through the ages, through the whole millennium until the second coming. Uh, that will be the experience of the church. And remember, we were talking about the use of seven, meaning completeness, not specifically only those seven churches. Uh, then we move through the seven seals, which we're in right now. And then we'll have the seven trumpets, the seven signs, and the seven bulls. And then he'll focus on these other visions uh, from chapter 17 through 21, and then the final 
What I want you to see here, though, specifically, is I want to show you two other places that you'll see at the end of these cycles, he comes back to this vision and uses very similar language, just so that you see, indeed, John is actually doing this. He's, he's going from the ascension of Christ to the second coming, the judgment. From the ascension of Christ to the judgment. And he keeps going back and forth. But let's move forward uh, in your Bibles. Go to chapter 16. Again, this will only take a couple minutes, and then we'll get to this particular passage. So it's chapter 16, verse uh, 17. And th- listen for the similar, similar language as we just saw in chapter 6. So verse 17 of chapter 16. This is the seventh angel poured out his bowl. So we're in the, the seven bowls. This is the last bowl. Uh, he poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. Here was our earthquake again, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Here we have again God's wrath being poured out, uh, which is what the people proclaimed in chapter 6. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. We saw that exactly in chapter 6. The mountains and the islands were gone. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. So here we see hailstones coming down. In chapter 6, it was, it was the stars coming down. Uh, and there in chapter 6, it was the people hiding from the face of the Lamb. Here we have the people cursing the Lamb. They're cursing God. But notice this very similar language. You have the earthquake. You have the wrath of God being poured out. The islands going away. The, the mountains going away uh, as we wrap up the final judgment. And move along to chapter uh, 20. In verse 7, we'll just see one more, just so you see, he keeps coming back through these cycles. Uh, verse 7, and when the thousand years were ended, so we're at the end of this, this millennium, when the thousand years were ended, Satan was released from, the, from prison, will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So now we have a battle going on. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Okay, so there you see it again. The earth is gone, the sky is gone, uh, fleeing from uh, the wrath of God. So, again, we're going to just focus on chapter 6, but I just want you to see that this is how John is working his way through the book, uh, showing different sides of the replay and what have you. So let's go back to chapter 6. We're just going to focus on this passage, the sixth seal, about the great day of God's wrath that is coming. Now, as we think through it, uh, you, you might even think of if you were going to, you know, put on a play or something, uh, how you would try to demonstrate uh, what is going on in this scene. Somehow, as we read the book, we're, we're meant to enter into the vision. It's chaotic, and it's quite terrifying, is it not? 
But somehow as we read, we, we have to try to get into the, into the mind of what John would have experienced as, as he's sitting there. So that's one thing I like to do is envision if I was to try to put this on as a play, what would I want the audience to, to feel and experience uh, in the moment of the vision. Uh, one thing I would do is uh, I would try to demonstrate that what's going on in this sixth seal is uh, something like the Gilligan's Island introduction. It's as soon as as soon as you you hear the song, you, you know what's about to happen. You know this this com- comedy show is coming on with Gilligan and these other people stuck on this island. Or if you go to a baseball game, uh, like a major league baseball game, uh, you know if you're at the home team, uh, what do they do before one of the hitters comes up to bat? They usually play some sort of intro music, right? And it's usually, a, a, I would assume it's a song that the player picked out. It's one of, one of his favorite songs, and it communicates like his personality. We actually had this in, uh, when I played college ball for a little bit. I, forget, I wish I could remember my song. I'm sure it was really great. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like your song, and it communicates. It's communicating this who's coming up. Right? Or if you think about a, a, if a president was to come and visit Milwaukee or some special king or queen of the world, there would be this big procession that would come before the king or the president, and there would be all this fancy stuff happening. And it's all kind of this introduction of this great one that is coming. And I think what we have in the sixth seal is something like that. It's not actually, I don't think, that the earth, kind of all this destruction, is the wrath of the Lamb in itself, the ultimate wrath, it's introducing the new character into the vision. It's bringing in the one seated on the throne and the Lamb into the vision to introduce him. This is, throughout scripture, you have this idea when God comes in judgment, the earth quakes, and the mountains fall, and they crumble because the weight of the one coming in the earth cannot stand. And that's why you have people terrified. Because this who's coming into to the show. And so what you have here, I, you know, if I were to put this on as a play, I've never been to Disney World, uh, but I, I, I think they have sort of like interactive buildings or seats and stuff, right? At least that's what I've heard. So that's what I would do. I would create this building that is fully interactive, have you virtual glasses on, and uh, you'd, you'd start, first I'd probably start with uh, showing uh, some people. I'd have, I'd have a king, and he's at a fancy dinner with some of his top-ranked men, women. They're there, and they're eating and laughing, and he's there with all his power and pomp. Then I'd switch over to a quick scene of a general kind of coming back victorious in battle, carrying the plunder with him right behind, and everybody's celebrating this great general and what he's done. Then I'd go over to, to demonstrate uh, some, someone rich kind of on their yacht, enjoying all their goods and their possessions, enjoying the, the life that they've created. And I'd show the powerful maybe eating the, the fruit of the vine that uh, he's enjoying while he's overlooking his property as the, the slaves kind of do his bidding for him. And I'd watch, uh, show a scene of a slave weeping in the corner, wishing that one day she 
and her family could get out of this poverty cycle that they're in, but no avail. And then I'd probably show the scene of this family enjoying this time at the park together. All pretty, pretty much most of them upstanding citizens, a little bit of riffraff in there with the, you know, maybe the general or the king, I kind of do some shady stuff or whatever it is. But for the most part, some pretty decent people, uh, actually many of them church-going folk. And they have no idea what's about to happen. And suddenly, something like that, Sam, thank you. I'd have some loud bang, <laughs> but it'd be louder than that. And you'd start to hear some of the rumble under the floor. And you'd start to feel your seat to start shaking. And eventually, this big split. And the lights I'd have go off immediately. At which point, uh, that already just strikes this terror in us. I'd then have some big bright light on as red. Maybe I'd have it only kind of circular and only half of the light is on and it's just bringing this deep red overtone and that loud earthquakes continue to get louder and louder and then I'd start having the, the lights fall to the floor, maybe leave some holes in the floor, some crashing, and I'd turn up that heat super hot so that people are wishing they could get out but I'd seat belt in, people in their seats so they can't leave. <laughs> and they're dying to get out of the room. Then I'd have the roof totally rip off. And then I don't know what I'd do to demonstrate the mountains. Maybe to have the walls fall off too. I don't, I don't know. But I'd want people to feel like this absolute terror. And then the screams would start. Suddenly that king that was enjoying his meal with his top-ranked officials, they're all under the table. One's passed out. They're terrified. Those who stood so strong are now wailing in the corner under the table. The general that has seen some crazy stuff in his life is over there puking in the corner because he can't stand it. You have the, the, uh, the poor lady, the slave with her family, just dropping more tears in her bucket. You have the family at the park now huddled underneath the slide, wishing that something could protect them. You have the rich person on the yacht trying to protect their possessions to no avail and realize that will not save them anymore. And you have the powerful with nothing to do. And what's their final plan? What's their final strategy? They actually start to call out for objects to kill them. And what you actually see in the scene is that they're not so much terrified by the earth calamities. They're terrified by what's act the person actually ushering them in. They're terrified by what they're probably seeing, as, as you see in chapter 20, as the, the sky and earth are removed, who's there? It's the one seated on his throne. And this is absolutely terrifying. I would want the audience to experience absolute terror in their soul, the way that the people are experiencing this in the scene. Uh, it, it's been said, you know, that at times uh, people will, uh, if they're trapped in a building that's, that's burning, that uh, once, if, if they've exhausted every option and they know that they can't get out of the building, then at that time some people will jump 
from the building. Right? You've, in fact, if you were uh, old enough at the time of 9-11, uh, you probably saw that. The people uh, above, the, above the floors that the planes went into the, the trade, uh, Twin Towers, the Trade Center, uh, it's said that it, they estimate that the heat got up to 1,000 degrees pretty rapidly. People were trying to stand on desks just because the floor was so hot and people were crowding around by the, the windows. Uh, sometimes it might have been that they were blown out or pushed out because of the crowd, uh, and others believe that uh, people jumped because it was just so hot. Every option was exhausted. There was absolutely no way out. All the stairwells in the first tower were totally blocked. They couldn't get out. And so you have two, you have two choices. I either die with this agonizing heat or I die by jumping, but I'm dying either way. And so when we think of that, we, we, we think about it with, in horror, but we, there's some logic to it, right? There's, there's no good option. So you're getting away from the heat to choose a different form of death, and that, that's just what you do. It's, it's like they don't have a choice. The scene that we're reading here is a little bit different. The folks in, in, our, in our vision here they're choosing for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them to somehow hoping that it would hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. What they don't know is that for the rocks to, to kill them actually ushers them closer to the Lamb. And the, 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 uh, the sad part of the vision is that the very one who can rescue them are the very, is the very one they're trying to be away from. It's only the one on the throne. It's only the lamb himself who can actually save them. And yet they're trying to hide themselves from the lamb. I mean, that is the human condition, is it not? I mean, God would appear right before us and we would say, no, away from me. One, we'd feel like we need to hide from him because we would experience his holiness and we'd say, yeah, but stay away. And that's what you saw in chapter 16, still cursing God. So I would want people to experience this absolute terrifying vision, and I also want people to experience the universe, universality of it. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, both in the, the earth calamities, the earth destruction, and the people are both uh, seven. So there's seven things of the earth that give way. There's the, the, first you have an earthquake, uh, then you have the sun, then you have the moon, then you have the stars, then you have the sky, then you have the mountains, then you have the islands. Again, number seven, completion. It's the whole earth. There's nowhere you can go to hide yourself from the destruction that's coming. You can't build yourself a bunker. That's not going to help. The earthquake will get you. You can't find the best steel and somehow build a little house and hide yourself. The stars coming down will get you. There's, there's nowhere you can go. You can't go to some desert. You can't go to some mountain. Go to the mountain, the mountain's going to get swept away anyways. There's nothing you can do. As well as the people come in the multiple of seven. First you have the kings, then you have the great ones, then you have the generals, then you have the rich, then you have the powerful, then you have the slave, then you have the free. Every sphere of society doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what your social class, the wrath of God is coming for every category.
So why, you know, why is this good for the church to think about? I mean, we're, we're spending a whole Sunday morning talking about it. John seems to keep bringing it up over and over again. Why, do, why, why does John want his audience to keep coming back to this scene? Like, what, what, is, what is the goodness in it for us? What's the purpose? What do we need to hear, both generally and in particular, with this vision? So I have five, five things, I think, that are why it's good for us to just simply hear this, soak it in, and let the vision come on us. Because, you know, the reality is, I, I don't know if this is how the earth is going to end. Remember, that we're in a vision, Right? I mean, some things in the vision actually would be impossible, right? The, in the sense of, there he says, the stars are falling from the sky. Like, it doesn't say, like, fractions of the stars. Like, all the, st- like the stars are coming down. Sort of like the, the whirly bird tree when the wind comes and it's like, they all come flying out. That's, that's the way John paints it. But we're in a vision. You're supposed to experience something. In a vision, uh, it's actually, it, if anything, I would say it's more terrifying than, than the vision. This is like the best John could do to show the destruction, of the wrath that comes, or the, the destruction of the earth as the wrath of God comes. So why is this good for us? Well, first I would say uh, the church needs to hear this, or the, the people of God as they gather, or the gathering of people on a Sunday morning, uh, or anywhere they gather, uh, it's good because it should awaken any unbelievers that are hiding among the church. The reality is we came out of chapters 2 and 3 as John is talking to the congregation, the churches, and it becomes evident that there's some among the church that are not actually real. Right? They're playing a game. If you remember Jesus in his parables, Jesus gives a parable of this man who goes out and sows his seed of wheat and one of his enemies comes overnight and sows the weeds. And weeds are growing right up next to the wheat. And you remember the servants say, should we go take out the, should we go take out the weeds? And he says, no, leave them. When it comes time for harvest, I will scoop up the weeds and throw them into the unquenchable fire. The reality is, throughout the, the church, there will always be people that hide among the church that are not real. Sometimes it's obvious, but then they're not hiding, are they? Most of the time, they fool us, but they don't fool the Lamb. Judas Iscariot walked with Jesus three years, roughly did miracles in the name of Jesus, cast out demons in the name of Jesus, and was not a true follower of Christ. Demas helped Paul as he was in prison, traveled with him, helped him out, which put his own life at risk, and yet love of the world pulled him away. Every generation of the church has people in it that are weeds. So, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that is you, maybe not. Maybe we have some here, maybe not. Perhaps you came in here this morning and, and true devotion to Christ, true love for Christ is, is never really in your heart. You come because there's, there's something, you feel something, this must be good to do. But there's no true love and affection for Christ and saying, I want to live for him. I'm willing to listen to him. When, when, when my opinion and his opinion don't line up, I'm going with him. 
because he's, he's the lamb. Maybe you walked in here this morning and, and there isn't any of that for you. And I think the call of this text would be not to go and hide yourself from the lamb, but to run to the lamb in repentance and lay yourself at his feet as the one who is going to bring his judgment and to place yourself under the one who can actually save you from himself in his death and resurrection. Second, uh, why I think John's audience and we, uh, it's good for us to, to get this vision and sit in this vision, is that it's meant to guard the church from going off track. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys, did you guys have, do they still do tech ed in uh, like middle school? It's like Woods class? Okay, some, okay so they're still doing it now. All right, so we had Woods class, and uh, I don't know why they showed us this video. I mean, I know why, but I still, have their, I still can picture certain things from the video. Before we got to touch any of the equipment, they, sh- they made us watch this video uh, of what can go wrong if you use the equipment badly. And so I still remember this guy with a nail in his eyeball. I mean, I was in seventh grade, and I still can't get that picture out of my head. Or, you know, fingers gone and such like that. But you know what that does? It keeps my safety glasses on in class, right? Because I don't want a nail going in my eyeball. And a, a vision like this, is, it's meant to keep the church from, from going off track. Because here's the reality. We're all tempted to coast. We're all tempted by the things of the world. Right? That's clear in Scripture. There is lust which wages war against your soul according to 1 Peter. Okay, so that, that's just life in the world, and we're tempted by it. And it's visions like this that, that for the church, it's meant to keep us on track and say, whoa, I don't want to go, I don't, I, I don't want to disobey, I don't want to go away from the Christ, I want to come under him. And that's good. It's good to experience this and say, no, I want to walk faithfully with Christ. So let, the, let this be a guard for us as a community. Let us, let us not go the ways of the culture. If you remember in, in one of the uh, passages we were talking about that, that the church is called to purify itself, to make sure that the church remains pure, and we should be a people that, that care for one another and keep uh, impurity out. And so may we be a people that do that, does that. Uh, third, not only does it un- or awaken unbelievers, Lord willing, but also guards the church. And then third, I would say it, it's meant to stir up an urgency in the church for mission. Right? This, this world is going to perish. All of us probably have family members, friends that do not know Christ. If this vision is real, this is who they're going to face. And this isn't fun and games, right? I play softball with some guys that I'm good buddies with that do not worship Christ. And they're going to face him. And true love at that point, like, what should we be doing? We should be saying, you know what? No, I, I must tell. I must talk about this. Any doctor that does not tell the patient that they're, they have a problem is a bad, evil doctor. You tell the problem so you can find the solution. But also it just stirs our urgency, Lord willing, about our use of our time, our resources, where we're putting our hope. 
to not claw onto the world as much as we want to. This, this, this world is enticing. But the rich people in the, in, the, in the picture, in the vision, where was all the richness? How did it help them? It actually blinded them to the Lamb. May God give us an urgency to be on his mission, spreading the gospel, encouraging one another up, building one another up, using our time in ways that are Christ-oriented. Fourth, I would say, this is the visions like this are meant to comfort those thirsting for justice, seeking justice. I think that's this, if you remember, the fifth seal, if you, you heard it as it was being read, uh, was the, the church represented by the martyrs who are crying out under the altar uh, through, the, through the ages, saying, how long? How long before you avenge our blood and pour out uh, justice on the earth? Because God is holy and true, and there's this real stirring in the believers for God's justice to come, God's holiness to come, God's peace to to come back and reign on earth. And this is meant to comfort those who await that. Because here's the reality. On a horizontal level, justice oftentimes will not come on earth. Right? Sometimes it's because, you know, there was no witness to the crime. Nobody saw it. And so the, the authorities, the detectives, they don't even know where to start. Somebody gets off scot-free. Sometimes it might be because there's some technicality in the law and they can get by. Sometimes it might be because corruption. You know, the, the person committing the crime is a person of power. They bribe the judge. The judge is corrupt. They are allowed to go free. Sometimes it might be because a victim is exhausted and too afraid to speak. So it just continues to go on. Sometimes it it might be because in some level justice is poured out, but certainly not to the level of what they actually did. You know, because they have so many victims and justice seems so small. But visions like this are meant to actually bring comfort that one day, true justice will indeed be poured out, right? You know, it's been said, I've, I've heard, uh, you know, several talk like this where uh, they look at Auschwitz, like a concentration camp, World War II, they look at Auschwitz and they say, there's no way there could be a God. And yet others look at it and say, there's, there's the only one way I can look at Auschwitz and look it in the face that such evil is if there truly is a God who will make sure that justice is paid out. And indeed, God will. Oftentimes, justice skates through the cracks here on earth, but not, not on this day. Not on this day. That's why the most powerful in the land is asking to be hidden from the wrath of the Lamb. And maybe you're here this morning and you've, you have, you've been one who has lived through injustice. Uh, let, let, let this be a comfort to you that one day justice will be poured out. 
And last, I would say, uh, the church, we need to hear this uh, because it, it increases our love for God and for the gospel. You, you don't have to talk long about God's justice being poured out and re- before you realize that we are the same people that deserve the wrath of God, right? We are people who have rebelled against God. We are people who deserve to be calling out to the rocks to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And in fact, where the vision's going to go is in chapter 7, and we'll get to it in two weeks. Next week, Jeff Barrett's preaching, and we'll come back to it in chapter 7. Uh, we actually see th- this, this part of the vision ends with the question, who can stand? Who can stand against the wrath of the Lamb? The answer is given in chapter 7. is those who are sealed by God. God seals the people and brings them through so they can stand at the judgment. But it's not because of them. It's because the grace of God sealing them and bringing them through. But what do they do in chapter 7? They worship. They worship the Lamb. The one who was slain on their behalf, who took the wrath of God, who took the justice of God so that they could actually come through and stand on the other side. And in fact, if you just move to chapter 8, verse 1, there we read, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So what I understand going on there, the earth giving way is bringing in the new character. This is procession coming in, the wrath of the Lamb coming. Seventh seal is opened, and they experience it like they've never seen it before. The wrath of God fully poured out, and the restoration of God come to full fruition, and they're stunned. If you're blood-bought, that is, that, that is our experience. One day we'll see it in full and we will be absolutely stunned, marveling. How in the world did we come through except because of the blood of the Lamb? Look at the righteous judgment of God that was poured out on the wicked. We deserve the same, and yet here we stand. Glory be to Christ. Let his name forever be renowned. We must decrease. He must increase. And that is the cry of the church through the ages as we think about such a vision May a vision like this guard us as a church. May it give us comfort that justice will come. May it stir up an urgency for the mission. And may it increase our love for God and for the work of Christ in the gospel. And therefore, we turn to the Lord's Supper and remember the very work of Christ that would actually allow us to read such a vision And look it in the face and say, yes, this is real. This is going to happen. Maybe not like this, but the wrath of God's going to come and bring his wrath. Or God's going to come. And yet we will stand. We will stand at the judgment. The Lord's Supper is the proclamation of the church, the proclamation of the Lord's death until he returns. We we rejoice and celebrate the death of our Messiah because it was his very death that allows us to stand through the judgment. The Lord's table is for all who are walking in repentant faith in Jesus. It's not about perfection, but about direction. If you are one who worships Jesus as the Christ and wanting to live for him and strive to live for him, not perfect, but stumbling in faith though we be, And the Lord's table is for you.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you, Christian. And just like in the Passover, as the family took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the wrath of God came through at midnight and passed over all the homes that had the blood on their doorpost, not bringing the wrath of God to that home and killing the firstborn, so those who are under the blood of Christ, God's wrath will pass over and we will stand on the other side. Christian, the Lord Jesus, in the same way after supper, took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us stand and pray together. God, we proclaim you as holy. You are good, you are just, you are faithful. And because of that, you, you despise sin and you will pour out uh, justice on it and wrath on it. And we are, we are people who deserve it, but in your mercy, in your mercy, in your grace, you have sent Christ to die on our behalf. Risen from the dead, reigning on high, we are your people, you are our Lord. And now, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. We look to the day when you come again. We ask it would fuel us for the mission that you have us on. In Christ's name, amen.